Hello everybody, uh, welcome back to this episode. Before we get going, uh, in this episode that is really focused about the Canadian election. Why? Not really science, but I missed the election, obviously, living abroad, and wanted to talk about it. So, I enlisted the help of two friends from back home in Alberta, uh, and we just had a chat about the election. Um, but before we get to that, remember... Why carry around a poster tube if you're going to a conference? Check out featherposter.com. Use the code 2BRAD at checkout. Get yourself $10 off a really nice canvas poster. Very easy to fold up, easy to pack, uh, easy to travel with, looks great, doesn't crease. You'll be a hit at your next conference. A big hit. So don't forget featherposter.com. Please do check it out. And if you're going to purchase, use the promo code to Brad, T-W-O, Brad, all one word. Right. So uh, this episode, like I said, not science, um, politics, specifically Canadian politics. So it's a bit inside baseball um, for people listening outside of Canada. But, you know, Canada, the world, the Western democracies all kind of facing similar climates, political climates at the moment, so we talk a little bit about that, um, but some specifics that you might need to know if you're outside of Canada. Uh, we have parliamentary system, we have the Liberal Party, which is the incoming Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who you've probably heard of. Uh, that's his party. We have the Conservative Party, which is sort of center-right, whereas Justin Trudeau's Liberals are center-left. Uh, those are the two big parties, the only two parties that have ever formed government in Canada. We then have uh, a few smaller parties, the NDP, which is uh, a little more left of center. We have the Green Party, which I think everybody knows what that's about, environmental issues. Uh, and then we have the Bloc Québécois, which is a regional party that represents Quebec and has been the Quebec separatist party. Um, so they're also in play. And we had a new party... Uh, that you'll hear about, uh, led by a guy Kyle called Maxime Bernier, which was very right. This was the sort of anti-immigration, climate change isn't real uh, party. Uh, yeah, so it was an interesting election. Um, apparently there was a lot of mudslinging. It was a little a little dirtier than, than Canadian elections generally are. Climate change was obviously an issue. Um, and some of the interesting things that played out in the election was... Uh, a couple scandals that faced Justin Trudeau. You've probably heard about the blackface scandal, pictures emerging of him in blackface. That's not a good look. Uh, and then also one specific that we talk about that might not be that known outside of Canada is called the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Uh, just a brief um, note on what that is uh, so you can follow along. The SNC-Lavalin is a giant engineering company. They got caught bribing officials. Uh, from Libya, uh, so they were under investigation. Um, the Attorney General of Canada had the choice to prosecute this company, which would mean fines and potentially job losses in the voter-rich areas of Quebec, uh, or she could have done what was referred to as a deferred prosecution, so kind of more of a slap on the wrist, but it would have saved the jobs is the argument. So the Prime Minister's office apparently was caught trying to pressure her uh, into going with the deferred uh, prosecution, and she said, nope, we think there's grounds to prosecute, 
and she taped some phone calls after she felt that she was being unduly pressured by the prime minister's office into going with the other option. So some unethical influence into the justice system. Um, and there was a commissioner's report, ethical commissioner report. It's not a criminal offense, but they basically said it doesn't look good and it's not great. And probably behavior that goes on in a lot of different governments, but to get caught for it is not great. So those are the main things. And then we did touch on uh, Western alienation in the end of the podcast, which we might have to cover in a, in a whole nother episode because it is pretty interesting. Uh, in brief, again, the Western part of Canada has not as many seats, uh, so they tend to feel alienated already. So they can vote um, in mass for a party and still not get uh, power. Uh, and we are also the in the West, the resource-rich uh, area, and specifically oil, um, and really right now the only part of the country that is not doing good economically because of dips in oil prices and inability to get uh, pipeline, new pipelines built to ship that oil to uh, harbors. Um, and so again, these provinces uh, that produce this oil, provinces around them are saying, we don't want your pipelines coming through here. Uh, and yet for the longest time, the oil-rich provinces have been the economic engine of the country. They pay into an equalization scheme that pays other provinces money um, to help keep everybody on an equal playing field. So by doing that, paying that, long being the economic engine, everybody using gas and oil, and then you know feeling like nobody actually wants to help you out when your economy is, is turned down is leading to some really big... Um, uh, sentiments of alienation and even talk of separ separation, which is kind of silly, but again, that's for another discussion. That should get you up to date on all of this if you want to join in on the conversation about the Canadian election. Uh, we did it over Skype. The audio is not the best, but uh, I hope you do enjoy it. Uh, if you're listening, like I said, if you're listening outside of Canada, maybe it's a peek into what's going on. Um, the two guys I spoke to, Steve and Scott, are really smart guys, um, both studied this in university politics and business and whatnot. Um, so yeah, just really good commentators uh, on this kind of thing from a sort of every man's perspective, but a rather informed every man's perspective. So that's it. I've rambled on enough. Here is the episode, a um, little bit of the freak motif, as always, to bring us in, and then a little politics chat. respond to comments at once but let's just give it a go so i'll just start so seemings how there was a canadian federal election and i was not there and i know one of my guests is itching to comment on my lack of voting but we'll get to that uh i decided to get two friends who are living in the province of alberta to join me on a call here just to get um a little bit of a their take basically on the federal election, how it went down, what they think of the results, what they think moving forward. 
So I guess we'll start. I'll introduce my two good friends, friends of the podcast. Uh, Scott Stoley is here Hello. with us. Scott. Hey, how's and it going? Good, really good. And Steve Barg, who is, hey. yeah, I think Steve. Now you're you've been part of every single podcast project I've ever put together. So you're three for three, buddy. That's pretty tremendous, isn't it? <laughs> it it really is. I don't know why uh, you're calling me. <laughs> <laughs> well, for your hot takes, Steve. It's uh yeah, it's just your hot takes. And so let's start then there with you, Steve. Um again, like I just mentioned, I wasn't there and I saw the campaign from afar and you know, I have some thoughts on it, but I'd like to get let's start with you. Your thoughts just on how the race was run. Uh, there was some comments in some of the media outlets that it was a particularly dirty, nasty, you know, kind of shitty election to be a part of. Uh, was that your perspective? Are you happy with the outcome? Did anybody, you know, blow you away? What do you think? Well, no, and I'm going to come off as a bit of a curmudgeon here, but uh, no, I don't think it was. I don't think it was particularly dirty. I don't think any of the parties did a particularly good job. I don't think any of the leaders did a particularly good job, and um, we're left with uh, what we're left with for now—a liberal minority government. I mean, you could say this, uh, you could chalk this election, in my mind, up to uh, basic incompetency with, uh, <laughs> you know, from the two two basic perspectives. From the conservative perspective, we had a prime minister who was going out of his way to seemingly make a fool of himself at every turn, and um, they still couldn't do anything with it. And from a liberal perspective, you have a prime minister who's uh, presided over a really good economy with historic uh, lows in unemployment and all this. Uh, and you'd have to think, well, to not get a majority government again, he would have to make a fool of himself, uh, you know, <laughs> around every corner. And he did, th he did do that. So they both failed tremendously. And I'm um, just looking forward to, uh, uh, all or, well, yeah, all of the names of the major parties, uh, uh, me having ha never having to hear their names again. That's my perspective. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, a rather salty one. Um, Scott Stoley, what say you? Uh, I think I feel slightly less salty than Steve, but probably not that much less salty. I think... Uh, one of my frustrations in the campaign was it seems that the parties were more interested in talking about how terrible the other guys were as opposed to what they were going to do. And often on a personal level, as opposed to, you know, Justin Trudeau's a bad guy, Andrew Shear's a bad guy, as opposed to Justin Trudeau has bad policies or Shear has bad policies, which would be at least better in my mind. Or best case scenario, scenario to me would be here are all po are our policies and here's why they're the best, um, but not a lot of focus on that. I think um, all the parties were quite willing to basically lie about the other party's positions, I think, in order to some kind of scare tactic stuff about how, you know, Shear's going to cut $53 billion and Justin Trudeau is going to legalize all drugs 
Um, so overall, I found it to be a pretty dishonest campaign. Uh, it would have been nice to see a little more positivity in terms of here's the good of what we're going to do as opposed to here's why the other guys are so bad. Um, so, yeah, that was probably my my main takeaway from it. Scott, did you have a single issue uh, that was sort of most important that you were hoping get it was addressed or was there an issue that was addressed? I know uh, climate change um, initiatives were seemed to be a bit of a battleground and seemed to be what a lot of pundits were saying after the election that this was kind of the deciding thing and that, you know, Basically, it says that uh, all parties moving forward, you're going to need a good climate strategy um, in order to win elections going forward from this point. Agree with that or was there another issue that you thought uh, could have been addressed, should have been addressed or was addressed that influenced the way you felt about the the parties? No, I think as a, uh, as a left-leaning Albertan, it put me in a funny position that I would say my the issues... Climate change was certainly probably the biggest issue for me because I think it is a real serious problem going forward and we need a credible plan to address it. Uh, I also want them to get pipelines built. So a bit of a uh, contradiction there. But as an Albertan, I think it would be you know crucial to our economy here. And uh, I think there's some sort of disinformation about how a pipeline could still fit into our sort of climate strategy. Um, I think you are right that it really cost the Conservative Party to not have a credible plan. And certainly much of the expert analysis that I read was basically saying the Conservative plan was mostly kind of hand-waving and dreams as opposed to credible actions. And certainly I think the Liberal stance on the carbon tax I, you know, really helped earn my support in that uh, a carbon tax to me is the conservative way to mitigate climate change. It allows for essentially free market solutions, um, you know, essentially just price it and then let the market figure out what's the best way to reduce carbon. Whereas the conservative plan was largely about regulations, which also are costly and all the experts would tell you are going to be costlier than a carbon tax. But it's more politically popular because those costs are hidden as opposed to the carbon tax that you just see on your gas bill. Um, but I think seeing how the conservatives didn't win in much of anything in any major urban centers outside of Alberta and Saskatchewan, I think that lack of a climate plan, you know, a credible climate plan definitely hurt them there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Steve. What do you think? What was your issue going in and was it addressed? Did you feel you you were your your concerns were being uh, uh, looked after? Well, with uh, just to touch on the climate uh, plans, because I think that is obviously kind of a top three issue that uh, everyone was talking about. Um, yeah, I think that the like the liberal carbon tax makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't quite understand where I guess that money is being funneled if it's between it seems like they might be stuck between like a revenue neutral plan or uh, um, investing in green technology. I guess it's 
it, part of that is up to the provinces too, I think, because of the the tiered system they have of carbon tax going on. Um, but I think like the conservatives could have scored huge points by having a plan, um, by having, I mean, like, let's be honest, their platform was released after people could start voting. I mean, so that's, uh, and not just with the carbon tax, like their cost of platform was released after the advanced polls opened, which is, I think, I mean, if you're going to hit a deadline, it might be when people can start voting to uh, <laughs> release your platform. That might be a good idea. Um, I think the conservatives could have scored huge points. I don't like, I, I don't know if they just lost the the pulse of, the entire nation or if they failed to look at an electoral map before uh before the election but they could have scored huge points by saying you look here's a carbon tax we like the idea of a carbon tax it's actually a conservative idea especially if it's revenue neutral um and but we're not going to ramp it up so fast right away we're going to take a moderate approach to the carbon tax um, and we're going to roll it out over a longer period of time, increase the tax over a longer period of time so as to not uh, negatively affect businesses in the short term. Um, and I think they could have scored huge points that way. I think people would have said, you know, there they would have been able to, to gain a lot more traction out uh, in Ontario and, and in the Atlantic provinces. And um, yeah, they just failed to do it. I don't know, like... When I'm looking at these elections, I got to be honest, the thing that's so frustrating to me is is that uh, really the only issue that that is being talked about in terms of like a long view, long range view of things is climate change. But that is like uh, one of many issues that we're looking at in the future. Nobody talks about AI. Nobody talks about uh, automation. That's barely even talked about um our healthcare system was pretty well largely ignored throughout the election like nobody seemed to care about that um so which i mean is is in basically in danger of falling apart over the next couple of decades nobody talks about that so climate change yeah of course people talk about that because it's like uh it's a fairly trendy issue and i'm not trying to make light of it i know it's serious but it, it's a it's a very it's an issue that's uh that's people take extreme views on um, and nobody's talking about anything else. And I mean, the, the big thing that I'm looking to for climate change is someone to talk about, uh, you know, the thorium based nuclear reactors. Nobody talks about that. So why, like, I don't know the, the issues that are talked about are just so basic and so dumbed down for on both sides that that's really frustrating to me. No one's talking about a lot of the real issues. So no, mm -hmm. I'm very unsatisfied. I don't know if that's what you're asking. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess what the saltiness continues. So that's right, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Uh, and I think that that's an important point and that would like maybe be the next one is, you know, it did seem that there was a lack of substance uh, in terms of policy discussion. And then, you know, Steve, you're saying here that, climate change sort of dominated the thing, but it's, and, and I think it's a fair point that you make that there is other issues, you know, climate change may be a big one, but there are bigger, there are other issues 
um, um, to deal. My question then is, or my thought that I'll put to you guys, and you can, whoever wants to jump in on it, but how much, you know, why was there such a lack of um, uh, policy discussion? And does it fit in with the sort of what you see, what we see in other countries, you know, where a lot of rhetoric and stuff is getting ramped up and, you know, especially our neighbors to the South in America, where it's issues don't seem to matter. It's more about personality and especially in our parliamentary system where we're not even really electing the leader. Have we lost the plot? And is did Canada can maybe kind of survive this test of mudslinging rhetoric kind of thing? Or are we just slipping further into that? Uh, I can maybe jump in there. I think in part the lack of substance is just a sign, you know, it's a trend in our society generally globally that people's attention spans are shorter. You know, we're used to information comes 280 characters at a time. Um, people, you know, get half their information from memes. There's, it seems it's hard to really engage people on the details and kind of the nitty gritty the nitty gritty aspects of particular policies, though it's certainly out there if you're if you're looking for it. I think there's um, kind of a group of Canadian economists on Twitter who kind of jokingly call themselves the Economist Party, um, but they did some really good detailed work on you know the costing of Canadian of the different platforms and the distributional effects of different policies, for example. You know how the competing liberal and conservative tax cuts would affect different segments of society across income and that sort of thing. So that sort of detailed information, I think, is out there generally, or at least got out in the case of the conservatives, got out there eventually when they released their platform with a week left. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, um, so that's definitely part of the problem. You talk about you know, our parliamentary system and have we lost the plot? And I think to some extent we have, as certainly the political science major in me, when I hear, you know, Jugmeet Singh says he's going to reopen a hospital in Vancouver and all I can think is no, or in Winnipeg, sorry, but no, you're not because that's provincial jurisdiction. And, uh, or when Andrew Shear says, whoever gets the most seats gets to form the government or gets the first crack at forming the government. No, that's just not, not actually how it works in our Westminster parliamentary system. So I was certainly a bit disappointed that um, I think these gentlemen know better. Generally, every time they're sort of mentioning these policies or ideas that aren't actually in their jurisdiction or don't actually reflect how our system works, it's not because they don't know. It's because the political cost that you pay for misinformation or, you know, essentially outright lying is is virtually nothing these days compared to i think probably helped by mr trump down south that um things have really gone i think there was maybe i'm just thinking of a golden age before i was alive when if you just brazenly lied and got caught there would be political consequences for that and we don't seem to see that to the same extent um that i think all the parties lied about all the other parties so uh we certainly lost some of the plot that way in my view Steve? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I think the discourse is pretty, it's just at a, at a base level. And yeah, there's lying. I think there's always been lying to some extent. Um, 
I don't know. There's definitely, Scott, you pointed to a couple of, of uh, you know, examples and that's, yeah, they're, they're caught in it. And I think our media does like a decent job of catching people in those lies. But then again, CBC got itself uh, stuck in a lot of, uh, a lot of mucky uh, kind of ground when uh like, didn't they sue? Uh, who is it? Uh, the conservatives uh, partway through? Or they the did, cons- yeah. Yeah, for uh, taking a clip of their news program and yeah. tweeting it out. Well, I think what the what it was is that they they took a, a number of clips and and were using them in a larger ad, and the CBC said that they were misrepresenting the uh, facts that were being. Uh, displayed in those clips and the larger pieces that they that they took from i didn't understand it much because it's like isn't that public you know the cbc is a public broadcaster and if they broadcast something aren't you allowed to then use it but i don't know so yeah it seemed very odd that uh the public broadcaster which does skew liberal uh, in many people's eyes at least would uh would do something like that rather than just cover it as a political story like is their job um so i don't know uh yeah it, the discourse is pretty poor nobody really wants to think about too much people just want to choose sides and agree with them that makes them feel really good um to do that but yeah i don't know i don't think it's going i don't think it's going to change like I, it would be great to have a little bit more substance particularly we looked at uh, the debate and there was really only one english language debate leaders debate and it was like a debacle uh, from every from every viewpoint um so maybe like a long form interview with candidates uh you know would help um, I don't know what I don't know what you do. Yeah, it's 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 just uh, it's just not great. Like, and it is up to I think it's up to the voter. Like Scott, you said uh, you're you can tune into all sorts of different people who are going a little bit uh, deeper with things. But how many people are doing that? I'd say less than I'd say less than two percent of all voters are actually digging into to uh, real details. Yeah, I think you're very much right there in that, you know, what is the source of this sort of clickbaity lack of depth in our coverage? And I think it's the result of just consumer demand that you write, you know, long form pieces about the distributional effects of this tax credit. And people aren't going to read that, you know, with shrinking attention spans and that sort of thing. It's a lot easier to show a meme that, you know makes the other shows the other guy in shadows and says he's going to take your money but not me and uh, i think it's a lot easier to get your message across that way even if it's you know lacks nuance or is partly or wholly inaccurate or Mm -hmm. so i think maybe what we're hearing here is that steve you want more thorium nuclear power plant memes that's right. Yeah. If we can get some story of nuclear power plant memes. Oh, and then the other party is definitely going to release a bunch of memes. You know, it'll be Andrew Shear, you know, the Chernobyl reactor. And this is what Shear wants oh, yeah. for you or something like that. Oh, no, they would steal clips from the show Chernobyl and get sued by HBO. 
<laughs> that would make more sense to me, you know, if HBO wanted to sue for use of their clips. The uh, the CBC that that was bizarre world to me. As someone mm-hmm. who likes the CBC, my thought was, what the hell are you doing? I don't think the H. I don't think HBO is even suing uh, Trump. Are they? Trump loves to use Game of Thrones memes. <laughs> I think there's been a number of cease and desist yeah, things on some of the music. Yeah, I think cease and desist yeah. orders. Yeah, well. Um. All right. Well, I don't know. The the idea that like, I don't know. It, it struck me a little bit, Scott, in some of the things that you said there, because it's like, yes, we point to the social media and stuff as being, you know, kind of driving this lack of attention and stuff like that. But then at the same time, there is a lot of information out there on those platforms you mentioned these these professors or economists or whatever that were providing this sort of service so i'm i'm not sure yeah exactly which way it goes or how it goes um but it seems like that there could be you know as much as we demonize it the the answers could be there but how do you get people to tune into it i don't know um and i don't know if like that's obviously not something that we're going to be able to um figure out right here um, before I, I wanted to get some thoughts on some of the smaller parties as well, but I'm thinking again, just in terms of like me living abroad here and following the campaign from afar and then seeing some of the, um, international coverage of it, which let me tell you, it's not a lot. I don't know if you guys, if this is going to be news to you guys, but not a lot of people outside of Canada really give a shit about what's going on in Canada, uh, except when the elections when the results came through and it was trudeau there was a lot of um pieces that were saying you know canada made the sensible choice and didn't fall prey to the right-wing populist sort of movements that are are sweeping across some of the other places uh western democracies will say uh what do you make of that and on the ground in canada like is does that seem like that was the the choice or the mood um yeah what do you think um I'll, um yeah i think that's i think that's a little bit ridiculous in some ways uh, sheer would have been a very vanilla candidate he would have been a very boring prime minister there that's he's not a populist guy like i think there's a there's a big time uh intuition to brand anybody who's a right-wing party leader as a as uh the next donald trump or the canadian version sorry of of donald trump sure i mean he was a huge mistake just because of his ambiguity on uh his stance on lgbtq and abortion and all this uh that was that clearly hurt him and there's no way that uh a party is gonna take control of the government with those types of without clarity you know in in those areas but he would have been so boring uh there would have been no uh it, it wouldn't have been any rise of like uh you know the alt-right or anything like that it would have just been all boring all the time and um it would have been fine because i mean really like canadian the two canadian parties are both uh, really centrist parties. Neither of them are very far to the right. I mean, y- you could have said that if they, if people, if somehow Maxime Bernier got some traction or something like that. Now that was the, that was our quote unquote populist uh, party. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he went nowhere and rightfully so he didn't even win his own riding. And, and I think, uh, the guy who the uh, rhino party candidate, which is a joke party uh, that just mocks the election. It's just uh, like a parody or whatever, or not a parody. Uh, a satire. You know, a sat- yeah, it's a satire party. They ran a guy named Maxime Bernier to go against Maxime Bernier in his own riding. They just found a guy with the same name and he picked up quite a few votes <laughs> on the real Maxime Bernier. Uh, and they were just trying to, you know, have fun with the fact that they might be able to confuse people into voting for them, or maybe people would just think that's funny and vote that way. And I think a lot of people did. So no, I, I don't think there's any worry about that. And I, I do uh, I do think um, that makes sense that that would be a part of the international coverage because everybody wants a story. And maybe that's that's a story maybe to somebody living in europe but uh that's there's no there there it's it's nothing there's that's not actually even uh, even though you could you could say that you know the conservatives do have those elements in their voter base and maybe you know one of the criticisms that i read of them and sheer along with his ambiguity on some of the um you know abortion and um lgbtq uh, that you mentioned was that he doesn't do enough to call out that that segment of the group, and it's possible that you know you know Maxine Bernier was trying to get those people um, to vote for him, but uh, maybe they just didn't see him as a viable candidate. Yet there's still there's still that segment of the, and I I mean I'm just I don't know what the answer is here. I'm just pointing that out, and you know, is this yeah, where that comparison could, uh, is coming from? If I could jump in just on Bernier, I think I found it. I was quite happy that the People's Party, you know, formed and ran on essentially a right wing populist platform and then got one percent of the vote. Um, So it really you're right. It did show Canada rejecting this sort of right wing populist movement. I think efforts to paint the Conservative Party with that same brush to me are pretty misguided. I think Steve is right that we would have got a pretty centrist, middle of the road, sensible government either way, though. You know, certainly Sheer could have done more to disavow the sort of extreme far right. You know, I won't call them Nazis because we're not, you know, <laughs> call everyone a Nazi these days. But um, yeah. but there is certainly a bit of an extreme element. Uh, so, I mean, Sheer's campaign manager was also, you know, strongly linked with the rebel media, which is very much in that right wing populist, um, you know, branch. I think it's easy for Canada to say, look at us, we didn't go down that, you know, that road when we have a, you know, essentially a booming economy, not so much here in Alberta, but countrywide things are going very well. And we also don't share any borders with large countries that are significantly poorer than us. So it's a Mm -hmm. lot easier to, you know, say we have this rose colored view of immigrants and whatnot when we don't have any of the sort of problems that you would see in Europe or in the southern United States or that sort of thing. I'd also be curious to see um, to what extent we would call this a rejection of the People's Party and sort of that far right thinking and how much of it is simply as a result of our first past the post system. A lot of people might be thinking, yeah, you know, I really do. Those kind of ideas are for me. But they don't have any hope of winning in any riding 
outside of maybe Bernier, and even he couldn't win. So I would have been curious to see if we had, say, a strict proportional representation system, how much more support would they have received? Uh, you know, they certainly would have got seats in the House of Commons, and then maybe the narrative about Canada rejects, you know, right-wing populism would have been a little more muted. Though I was pretty sad. I had high hopes for Bernier because Bernier came out in the conservative leadership. His big platform is getting rid of supply management, our system that essentially inflates the price of milk and makes dairy farmers rich at the expense of the rest of us. And, um, and it's getting rid of sort of corporate welfare, you know, all the loopholes and that sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, I'm with you, Maxime. And then it kind of switched to, and don't you hate immigrants and think climate climate change is a load of crap? I was like, oh, no, no, you kind of lost me there. Um, but it's too bad. I had real high hopes, but then uh, they certainly, and maybe it helped that uh, if they could sort of siphon off some of those elements from the Conservative Party, even in small numbers, probably helps the Conservatives image-wise, because all the the real extreme folks have decided to go, you know, to the next party over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, then let's move to the Liberals, I guess, and Trudeau himself, because Steve, as you mentioned, he did everything in his power to make himself look like a foolish dum-dum. And I think that's a narrative that not a lot of people outside of Canada get. You know, he gets hailed as this progressive leader uh, and all that. And the scandals that came up, obviously the the blackface one being being the the most uh, shameful, I guess, um, did get some coverage um, outside of Canada. I did see it in the in the news outlets over here, but not much. So as much as we've just kind of said the conservatives have an image problem and whatnot, what do we make of this and how much of it was, how much do you think it hurt um, the liberal campaign? And also, again, you know, with the idea of, I kind of lost my my thought there, but, um, you know, they could have ran this, this, you know, thing on... The economy and the excesses they've had, the success they've had, but how much of this, you know, sort of this, they've they've thrown their lot in the other side of the, you know, full-on progressive, maybe a bit of virtue signaling, that kind of thing. So, did people reject populism, or is there another story here in that it's they maybe got a little sick and tired of, you know, the hypocrisy that looked to be coming out of the liberal campaign? Uh, what do you think? What do you make of this? Uh, I guess from the perspective of Trudeau himself. Well, yeah, I mean, he's uh, is a real. There's a lot to kind of untangle with Trudeau. I think the the bottom line for me is he's um, as a leader, he's you know he's a wee bit vapid, I suppose I'll say. Uh, he's um, that's probably a really good word for it. I don't think he's the sharpest guy around, you know, I, I, and I don't even mean that as an insult. I just don't think he's like uh, one of these people who rose to leadership with a bunch of uh, wily uh, and smart, shrewd moves. I mean, basically we uh, first uh, kind of were introduced to him through a boxing match where he uh, punched a guy and uh, you know, it's it's, and then he fell down some stairs and right into the uh, prime minister's uh, seat. So uh, he's, um, yeah, I just think that he's 
he's that guy. That's our prime minister. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy with him. I mean, there's lots of uh, very uh, kind of delicious and rich examples of hypocrisy with uh, this is, <clears throat> pardon me, his stance on, you know, the Me Too movement um, and his uh, his his uh, demotion of Kent Hare. Uh, and then, you know, months later, the magazine article or the the uh, newspaper articles brought to kind of the public eye of him having a real problem with groping as a 30 year old. And, uh, you know, when it was someone else, his stance was uh, doesn't matter how old you were. doesn't matter if it was 10 years ago. It doesn't matter if you misunderstood the situation. It's whatever the woman says is kind of what goes. It's like, okay, well, if you're saying that, you sure as hell can't have a, a thing in your past, an actual published newspaper article. And here's like, um, I'm, this is tangential, but what is wrong with the Stephen Harper smear team? Like all of no this kidding, stuff right? is coming up now. Like how could have there been a published article on uh, the, on a, you know, a, groping of a female journalist how you know a published newspaper article and blackface in the in the yearbooks anyway i digress uh he's got a real problem with uh i mean he didn't even mention snc lavlin which is to me like if you want to talk about his ethics or corruption um that is where the central case is it's not even necessarily with his weird uh, blackface or his, uh, you know, handsy nature, um, the, you know, based on a newspaper article, I don't know. That's just what I'm based strictly on a newspaper article. That's he's painted as being a bit handsy. Um, <laughs> so it's so, all true. Yeah. But, uh, SNC Lavlin, again, that shows his hypocrisy because, um, you know, he hires, uh, he empowers uh, a woman and that's his, that's his, like his, the first thing he does is he, he makes sure the cabinet is half man and half woman. So he wants to empower women. He puts a, a woman in this position of, uh, of, uh, power of the justice system. Uh, also first nations, he's kind of getting, he's, color he's checking all of his diversity boxes and i i think she she was a you know i'm not saying that's why she got that job uh jody wilson rabel i think she's very qualified but i think that's probably a part of why he it appointed her yeah and um so then he um you know when the the snc bribes the uh whatever people with the uh montreal uh call them whores i guess um then <clears throat> then uh, he wants to change the law you know so well can't be that bad can it to you know bribe some people with some montreal hookers um and then she says well no we're not gonna do we're not gonna defer the prosecution and then he says well of course we know the story he says well yes we are. And he leans on her and she says, no. And I think in a lot of like, I think in a lot of governments, that type of stuff might happen. I, but we would just never hear of it because uh, people fall in line under the uh, under the prime minister, you know. Um, 
I, and whether or not you think that's corrupt, it's obviously corrupt, but I think it's, uh, I think you'd be silly to think it didn't happen in a lot of rooms, a lot of backdoor rooms and a lot of prime ministers through history. Um, so she stands up, she says, no, she's obviously very empowered in her position and her position is one that should have autonomy. Um, and he got himself into a big mess there. I think if he had a different way of running his party and he, and he had, uh, uh, if he wasn't so concerned with this so, so-called quote-unquote uh, virtue signaling, then um, people may have fallen in line a different way. You know, it might have happened differently. We may not even know about this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, he's he's a big mess. I, I know there, it's very difficult to, to, to kind of unravel the entire ball of yarn with this uh, particular individual. Um, I think he's, uh, but I yeah, I think bottom line, it's you could simplify it with just saying, you know, he's a little bit of uh, of an airhead. <laughs> yeah, I think there's probably. Um... In my view, there's probably some parallels between Trudeau's first term and Obama's first term, and that they kind of both got elected on a wave of like change and hope, you know, sunny ways, as the liberals like to refer to it. And then kind of the cold, hard reality of politics kicks in, and then there's, you know, some disillusionment that comes, obviously, with Obama and the drone strikes and not being able to pass certain legislation and that sort of thing, and people got a little more cynical and disillusion though i do think obama's a genuinely really smart guy and that trudeau i mean i don't i have no real problem you know i don't hate the guy by any stretch but he's vapid for sure he is a drama teacher playing a role every time he is out in front of the cameras he is whoever he needs to be that day um and i think but certainly was elected on this idea of sunny ways and change and we're going to do things differently and then the SNC-Lavalin scandal really kind of, at least to me, showed no things, you know, the sunny ways aren't quite so sunny. The uh, kind of old-timey backroom deals and favors given to preferred companies and preferred individuals, none of that really changed. Um, so I think there's certainly some cynicism. And the blackface stuff is just... Um, just so hypocritical and for him to kind of his answers on it sort of made it seem like you know it was everyone's fault and that it's society's fault. it's anything except you know how was a rich kid from papineau supposed to know that dressing up in blackface was pretty horribly offensive to a lot of people out there um and so i think his response to it was very much you know vapid absolutely though steve you pointed out you know where was the uh where was the harper kind of black ops people my thought when the scandal came out was like oh conservatives your timing is way off because people's attention spans are short and if they were sitting on this if i were them i would have released it a week before the election um and then it's really fresh in people's minds whereas if it came you know it came out a month before the vote and by the time the vote rolled around nobody was really talking about it anymore um so then again on the flip side for a lot of folks if those sort of, you know, let's say cultural sensitivity issues or virtue signaling, if that's important to you, are you going to vote for Andrew Scheer instead? 
Probably not. So you'll probably hold your nose a bit and still vote for Trudeau, especially if you're in a competitive riding where you think it's going to really make a difference and no one else has a shot at winning the seat. Then you're probably going to say, as much as I don't like what he did, I would still prefer to have him in power as opposed to, you know, Andrew Scheer and his arguably old timey backwards views on abortion and gay marriage and that sort of thing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a it was a funny one to watch from from abroad, to be on, to be honest. Um, Even from from abroad, it was interesting to me. I saw I've been following Andrew Yang, the um, kind of universal basic income candidate in the United States for the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. And um, so quite, I find him a really interesting candidate. He's got really interesting ideas and that sort of thing. But he, after the election, just tweeted, you know, congratulations to Justin Trudeau for winning. And he got a whole slew of responses saying, how could you possibly say that? You're losing my support. Don't you know this is the blackface guy? And uh, I wonder how much internationally he's just went from Sunny Ways guy, and that's the only thing people know about him, to, oh, he's the blackface guy, and that's the only thing people know about him. <laughs> I think well, it probably uh, depends on the uh, the where you're where you're getting your news source. Cause I'm sure that like right wing sort of Trump supporting media in, in the U S jumped on this as like, look at these people are, you know, hypocritical and that's why progressives suck and blah, 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 all that. But if you're somebody in Europe, let's say Germany, uh, where you see sort of the, the, the right wing parties that are, you know, pretty extreme starting to gain some traction in the continent and whatnot, you're going to, you're going to, look at that story very differently and be like, yeah, well, you know, he said, sorry, he made a mistake, this kind of thing. But I, I think that was probably to be expected. Um, well, just I sorry, wanna... could, yep. sorry to put my last thought on that. The real, I mean, the issue with that is I don't think is a public perception around the world or at home. I think the issue with the blackface and even other things like his uh, embarrassing trip to India um, the where that hits home is not a public perception, but uh, uh, leaders around the world that now have to deal with this guy. Like, let's say you're, uh, you know, a leader, a world leader from like an African nation or something, and you're sitting across the table taught dealing with someone who you know is a blackface guy. You know, <laughs> let's say you're the leader of India who, uh, you know, wears a suit to his meetings with world leaders and the Canadian leader comes up with, uh, you know, four different costumes of uh, what he thinks it must be like to be an Indian person. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, and the guy likes to dress up like we all know that. I mean, it, the, we've, we saw him dress up like Superman one day when he released the budget. I mean, this guy is uh he's a vapid dress up guy. So I mean uh and still it, a drama teacher at heart. Well they range from uh okay, that's a good costume, like all right, good. That would that would play well at a Halloween costume, but you know, you're at work to uh blackface. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. But I guess I mean 
and I, this is kind of what I was what I've been thinking about of all this too and what I was talking about a bit earlier about like you know how our system we don't normally elect the leader and you know we elect the the we're supposed to the system is designed to elect your local representative that best suits your local you know concerns and they're part of a party but um it seems like more and more that the 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 leader is becoming the sort of the focal point and what people are are voting on and in this like moving forward i wonder you know how much discussion the liberals are having in terms of do we need to get this guy out like he he hung on and won a second term but you know the fact yeah. that it's yeah all of this stuff has just come out so i don't know do you think could you see you know minority governments generally uh, historically have lasted on average about two years so in two years, if we're at another election, are the liberals looking for another leader? Personally, uh, I would say I, no. So. I don't think they're, uh, I don't think because, <laughs> well, in the one part, I suppose you might say, if you're the liberals, you're going to say, look, he had this horribly corrupt blackface or SNC thing, any, you know, blackface that would have destroyed so many other politicians. And he kind of just skated on through it all. Look at this guy, he's Teflon. So, uh, uh, that you know, uh, that would be one way you could look at. It. Obviously, you could also say he's got a great economy and still didn't manage to win a majority. But uh, I don't think I don't think they'll be looking to move on anytime soon. Um, certainly, you put so much stock into a guy, um, and with only say an average of another elections coming in two years, you want to present two years of a united front of getting things done and working for the people and that sort of thing. And I think the sort of ugly infighting of a leader, you know, leadership race from the liberals perspective would not be well served to their, um, you know, to their electoral interests, which forget the right thing. I think most parties are worried about what's going to be good for us in the next election. And I don't think moving on from Trudeau is going to be in their best interest, or at least they're not going to perceive it to be in their best interest, whether it is or not. Um, also, just you'd mentioned talking about the the fact that we elect our local MPs and they're supposed to, you know, they ultimately represent us and we don't actually elect the leaders. But I think in Canada, it's certainly been this way that you're essentially voting for a party. And I think it's been that way for a long time since Canada has kind of some of the most strict party discipline of the Westminster systems in the world. So you look at, you know, um, Brexit right now, they're part of the reason that things or a mess or Boris Johnson couldn't do what he wanted is because 22 members of the conservative party voted for the rule that required them to, uh, to kind of seek an extension. And in Canada, you just don't see that for the most part, parties vote along party lines consistently. So it really doesn't matter who the individual in your riding is. It's the party, it's the party line that's going to matter. So even if for me personally, I think if there was a guy that I liked better but the, was less inclined to agree with his party, then ultimately I'm going to vote for for the party. Right, but then so then the leader should 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 also matter less, and maybe this is a situation too where people can be, you know, not a fan of Trudeau as a leader, but would look at the party and say, well, that's the party that I'm most aligned with. Anyway, Steve, you said you don't you don't think they're going to be moving on with with him either. Oh, I said I hope not. <laughs> um, I don't know what they're gonna do. Like God knows what they're gonna do. I don't really, I, I don't really get the 
the party dynamic. Like that's not, I'm, I'm definitely no expert, but uh, no, I think uh, the fact that they uh, gave up a majority, they now just have a majority. The fact that they lost the popular vote uh, and, you know, I, and with, with what should have been a very successful few years of governance, I think it's a massive failure. And I think if they are looking at it like, well, you know, we'll just uh, work together for two years and then, you know, we'll, we'll get our majority back. Like, what do you think in the next two years, uh, Trudeau's going to all of a sudden become smart? No, it's going to be more, it's going to be more shit. Uh, it's going to be, there's going to be more blackface. There's going to be other costumes. Uh, there's going to be <laughs> other things happening. And uh, all the conservatives have to do, I swear to God, all they have to do is uh, put in, uh, like, uh, say, Rona Ambrose, uh, who's, uh, you know, someone who's thought of as being highly competent. Uh, having a woman as the head of that party would do wonders for them. And um, all they have to do is uh, stop doing, stop worrying about the extreme right side of the party. I don't know why they still do, um, but they can, they could easily uh, trounce a uh, liberal party uh, led by Justin Trudeau in two years. It would be like, uh, that wouldn't shock me at all to see a, a conservative majority if they march Trudeau back out there. So um you know, it's a lot of ifs, but uh, for me, I think that the obvious choice is to, uh, you know, for the for the uh, back room part of the party to start thinking and, and uh, planning on how to uh, stab that guy in the back. Um, and I think, the you know, if they're smart, the next leader would be uh, Christia Freeland. I'd love to see that. So, yeah, me too. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. But um, my position is they they should give it a shot anyway to to uh, change leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're getting close to the time limit that we have here, but uh, I wanted to just get thoughts on the the sort of other parties. Uh, how they did. The NDP seemed to lose seats. They did get, I think, a pretty good percentage of the vote. Um, like in terms of their um, their popularity seems to be, you know, holding at least, even if they didn't win uh, more seats. And the Green Party as well. Uh, I saw a breakdown of a, you know, what what the election would have looked like if we had different electoral systems. Um, and the big winners would have been the Green Party and the NDP. We also got to mention that the the Bloc Québécois also seemed to have a, a, a had a resurgence, and they won a number of seats. What did you think of them? Those briefly, how does it change the dynamic moving forward? And then we can just wrap it up and you know see like what are you expecting? What are you hoping for in the next two years? What are the issues you're hoping they uh, they uh, this you know minority parliament is able to to address? Who wants to start? Scott, you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think the NDP, they, I would say they frustrate me because in many ways, they're probably my ideological home. Like I'm pretty far, I'd call myself a democratic socialist on a lot of issues. Um, but 
So I would say we share a lot of the same goals in terms of a more equitable society and those sorts of things. The problem right. is I think their execution is terrible that they often have their, you know, the Economist Party doesn't seem to be a big fan of a lot of their ideas because they're just not economically sound ways of getting to the um, to the sort of, you know, goals that we share, say like their idea. Jagmeet Singh floated the idea of a wealth tax, which has been tried and abandoned in many European, you know, much more left wing European countries because they realized much as it sounds good, you know, yeah, take it from the rich people. It's just not a smart way to do it. Um, I think Jagmeet Singh really acquitted himself well. I think I quite like him personally. I think he seems like, you know, a genuine smart guy who cares. Um, but in the end, I suppose he survived through this simply because the expectation was they were going to get absolutely destroyed. And then they picked up steam near the end and managed to not get completely destroyed. So I guess he cleared the very low bar. Um, I think the green party quite similar there. I like a lot of their, you know, environmental initiatives and that sort of thing. I think we need to have more focus on the environment and maybe make some short-term sacrifices for some long-term benefits. But again, they're, I mean, certainly a lot of their their actual economic policies and their fiscal policies ranged between unconstitutional and insane. Like they were just not <laughs> well thought out from an economics perspective, from a constitutional law perspective. Um, so as much as I'd like to uh, support the Green Party on their environmental stance, I think they really need to get their house in order on a lot of, you know, on everything else, more or less. Um, and I think the Bloc really got lucky that uh, Sheer is very unpopular in Quebec. Um, there was, you know, the NDP has sort of lost ground. I feel like they were sort of maybe just a fallback option that people said, oh, I don't like any of the rest of them, so I guess I'll just vote for the Bloc and promote Quebec's interests. So that's probably my thoughts on the smaller parties and the People's yeah. Party. If we could just have a government that gets rid of supply management. I'm all for this. And sadly, the only party that had that in their platform is the party that also, you know, has some pretty grimy elements that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve. Uh, yeah, so basically uh, NDP was able to claim victory, even though they lost a bunch of seats. Uh, so that's, I guess, somehow uh, Jagmeet Singh is a V1, even though he lost. Uh, so congrats to that guy. Another social media, you know, darling. Uh, we'll see if he makes it. I have no idea. Um, Green Party, uh, they, you know, they're 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 the same party they've always been. Even though they've seemed to have got some kind of traction with national, uh, you know, at least as being a part of the narrative, as being mentioned as being a quote unquote major party, which they're not. They never have a, they'll never have a chance to form government. Um, the the most they can hope for is to be a part of some uh, greasy coalition and and stuff like this. Uh, so uh, you know, to me, they they remain largely irrelevant, but for their uh, you know ability to uh, spew a bunch of uh, extremist uh, nonsense for the most part. Um, and to to get some attention for themselves that way. I mean, Elizabeth May is uh, an interesting person. I think she's already said that she'll be stepping down 
before the next election. We'll see what direction they go in. And the Bloc Québécois is, uh, yeah, they had a weird bounce back. But again, the proportion of seats that they got is is I, very strange to me based on the number of people who actually voted for them. Uh, that all that all makes no sense to me. Um, and I think that actually allows me to trans transition into the final thing that uh, I'd like to talk about. And I'm not sure if this is your final question, Brad, uh, about the uh, Western feeling of Western alienation. I think it definitely needs to be talked about uh, if we're mm-hmm, uh, sure. going to a podcast. Um, so anyway, this is a um, now there's a Western Canadian separatist movement uh, that's making the rounds. They call themselves Wexit. Um, Pretty bad name. Terrible, terrible name. Terrible name. Um, and so, and these are people who are obviously fed up and and frustrated and all this, and and they're they may not have this might this isn't a logical move. This is a emotional move for them, and I and I think it's a temporary one as well. But um, they do have some good points, and and one of the points that they have is. Uh, uh, the disproportional amount of seats in certain places in this country, as opposed to uh, the Western provinces, um, you know, and it's you can really feel it when they call the election uh, before a vote is counted in Manitoba. The election was already called. So, um, you know, that's. And they got a the conservatives got a tremendous amount of votes, uh, and the western part of the country is uh, what allowed them to get more votes than any other party. So um, that's worth something, but it turns out it's really not. And uh, there's a lot of frust- frustration out here, and I feel it too. Like. Uh, um, there is a lot of ridiculous policies that seem to uh, take the view that um, Ontario and Quebec are the main part of the country and everything else is kind of auxiliary to that. So uh, look for more noise on that. I think the most sensible amount of noise will be uh, made when it comes to equalization payments rather than uh, an actual separatist movement, I think. One of the things that Kenny said he was going to do is he was going to hold a referendum on equalization payments. I don't know what what they can actually do with that, but I think there's going to be a lot of uh, talk about that, at least around these parts for the next few years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, the um, I, I think the whole the aftermath of this and the and the Western separate separation movement and all that almost deserves probably its own its own podcast which i'd i'd love to do i think some of it it seems like they may be with the with some of the rhetoric and the and the not backing down um you know that jason kenny the premier of alberta and the saskatchewan premier mo have done 
it kind of left them with no other these people with no other option now like the like the last card to play now is is the separation card which i think is a terrible idea uh and yeah the, the movement probably won't go um but it does open up the question of electoral reform something trudeau said he was going to do and then quickly abandoned um it definitely that i'm i'm I don't know. We'd have to go through all the different options and see what what the, would make sense. Uh, like I said in the brief scenario, I saw where they where the CBC kind of outlined a few different other popular forms and what that would mean. It basically wouldn't change much. Um, wouldn't have changed the results much. The Conservatives would have had a small minority, but really the big winners would have been the NDP and the Greens, and the Bloc would have lost um, in most of the scenarios. But um, yeah, electoral reform. I, the NDP have talked about it, but um, I don't think the Liberals are ever going to want to touch that. Uh, Scott, what do you think moving forward then? And if you have any thoughts on the on the you know Western alienation? Yeah, certainly. I think the um, Western separatism movement is just fundamentally silly. That if your main complaint is you can't get a pipeline built. Well, separating is clearly not going to help you one bit on that front. I don't think it's in any way serious. It's never going to happen. Most of the people claiming to support it, I think, are doing so somewhat in bad faith. They don't really believe the ideas. But I think as far as Western alienation goes, here's the problem why Alberta always feels they don't get listened to. In Alberta, it's a common, you'll commonly hear, you know, Quebec always gets pandered to and we don't. It's totally unfair. But here's the thing. Quebec... Their votes are up for grabs. They'll vote for different people. Whereas in Alberta, we vote for the conservatives robotically each and every time. So then they have no incentive to try and, uh, you know, to try and pander to Alberta. If they're going to vote for you no matter what, then what's the point of trying to, you know, listen, you know, get their issues at play? That's why I thought it was so silly that for the conservatives not to go more serious about climate change or say a carbon tax carbon tax there would have been a great amount of gnashing of teeth in alberta if the conservative party said we're pro-carbon tax but we would have voted for them anyway and they would have got more votes in ontario and quebec so it would have been a smarter strategy but i think until albertans realize that you know you know we're never going to get anywhere by voting for the same party robotically no matter what every time then you're not going to get your issues listened to i mean with all the complaints about equalization Jason Kenney was a cabinet minister when they approved the equalization formula. You know, was, the Conservative Party was in government. Mm -hmm. you know, no pipelines were built at that point either, really. No major projects like that. So I think, I don't know how you do it, because it's certainly not as if Alberta is going to start voting for the Liberals and the NDP en masse, I don't think. Um, although if there was maybe some sort of unified left alternative that didn't have all the baggage of the NDP or liberal names, it might actually be able to make some hay in, in parts of Alberta anyway. But uh, I think the Western alienation is very real as much as the solutions proposed are silly. The, the sentiments are real and people are really angry. And I think equalization and, of course, the pipeline issue is ultimately going to be a real test for Trudeau. I mean, it's it amazes me the extent to which people here think, you know, Trudeau hates Alberta and hates the pipeline when they bought the pipeline to keep the project alive. I think he's honestly trying. But uh, and it's you know, it's the courts and whatnot that are holding it up. But I think there's a limited understanding of that around here. As far as a lot of people are concerned, 
you know, you the know. only reason the pipeline is not getting built is because Justin Trudeau is the prime minister, which is wrong, but it's still people's perception. So they're going to have a real, you know, and I mean, they bought the pipeline. I don't know what else they can do to try and change that perception, but they're definitely going to have to do something to uh, mm-hmm. kind of ease the tension around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I wonder because they, 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 you know, Trudeau, at least in the days right after the election, did say like, you know, this is it is a priority. We are going to move forward and get it done no matter what. And so if he does do that, you know, that you would think that that's probably going to be a top priority. It should be a top priority for them in this two years to at least stave off, you know, a confidence vote or some kind of fall of the government. I How that works with the other parties who are opposed to it, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And I think I agree with you there, Scott. Some of this, some of a lot of this stuff is misplaced anger, um, you know, at the, the federal government for not getting these things done when people, yes, forget that the guy who's in power in Alberta now signed off on these decisions and wasn't able to do the things that they're all screaming about now. So I, I put some blame at the feet of the of the leaders that are kind of stoke this this misplaced misplacement of the anger and then yeah there's also just there's a lot of other issues that 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 go into it but um i know you guys gotta run so it was a quick one but i really enjoyed it uh i think we should do this again if you guys are down and we could yeah pick another topic maybe western alienation or or electoral reform is is another good one but yeah um, absolutely yeah all right well Thanks both for yeah. uh, for doing this, and we'll we'll do it again. Steve, thank you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me again. Oh, always, always. I, I love your saltiness. Of, I look forward to being a part of your next podcast project. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whatever it might be. Yeah. Thanks, man. And Scott, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right, man. Okay. Well, I will talk to you guys both later. There you have it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, for the Canadians, tell us what you think. Um, for the non-Canadians, also tell us what you think of boring old Canadian politics. Uh, anyway, it was a federal election, and I'm a bit of a political junkie. I like to talk, obviously, and so I wanted to do that. And again, my thanks to my two guests, Scott and Steve. Had a blast. I think we might do some more of these, so tune in, I guess. Uh, don't forget to check out featherposter.com. Use the promo code 2 Brad, T-W-O Brad, uh, if you're interested. Uh, and I think that's about it. Thank you, all, as always, to the Freak Motif um, and to Sebastian Boot. Uh, follow us on Twitter at 2 Brad for you and Instagram at 2 Brad for you. I'm at BVampiracon. Uh, and yeah, subscribe, like, comment. Or any all of that stuff boosts our profile, so help us out. And if you got the 10 seconds it takes to do that, it would be great. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Now.